This was a larger model. Oh my God, Daisy. Daisy, why'd you just shake? Welcome to Tech Tales. I'm Corbin Davenport. And I'm Cody Toombs. And today we're talking about the Asus EPC, which was not the first netbook, as we'll talk about, but it was the computer that really exploded this whole category of netbooks, sub notebooks, whatever you want to call them. And they were really popular for a couple years, and then they just kind of faded off. Yeah, well, it it managed to do this thing where it told it it confirmed that there was a desire for products that fit some of the criteria of a netbook. But man, they just that so many of them sucked. They were all so terrible. Yeah. So so one thing I want to talk about before we get to the EPC itself is that netbooks or sub notebooks like just this idea of a smaller cheaper laptop has been around for a long time basically as long as there have been laptop computers there have been smaller laptop computers some of them were built to be cheaper so they're kind of closer to what we think about as netbooks but others were just normal laptops in a smaller form factor or slightly smaller Throughout the 1980s and 1990s, a bunch of companies made compact PC laptops that ran either some version of Microsoft DOS or a different DOS and early versions of Windows. IBM made a couple. Some of them were ThinkPads. Toshiba made a couple. Compaq made a couple. They were pretty common. Apple also made a few. One of their early compact laptops was the PowerBook Duo lineup that lasted a couple years and they were kind of like a nine inch screen roughly um, but had the same internals as like their larger powerbook computers they also made one called the emate 300 which was a very weird product because it kind of looked like a laptop like it had a clamshell design with a keyboard and a display but it didn't run macOS. It ran the operating system from the Apple Newton PDAs. And it was primarily targeted at schools that wanted to have like a computer for each student because they were cheap and tiny and it, it didn't really matter if they broke them. <laughs> but the term netbook really didn't start to catch on until around the mid 2000s, like 2004, 2005. And it kind of turned into this word to describe sub notebooks, like laptops smaller than what most people think of laptops, primarily designed for internet access. So the idea was that these were super cheap computers built to get online. And that was really it. They just had to do that. Um, so we didn't need stuff like CD players, didn't need floppy drives, didn't need a lot of the other things that are helpful with traditional laptops, just get something that can get on the internet. One of the first big examples of this was the One Laptop Per Child initiative, which was founded in 2005 and had this goal of making a super cheap laptop primarily for developing countries. When you see pictures of this laptop, like they even made cranks to generate electricity for it in case the laptop was in places that didn't have a power grid. You can't see me right now, but I'm nodding as I recall all of this stuff. 
<laughs> yeah, there might be a Tech Tales episode for one laptop per child, because I know there was some some interesting stuff going on there. A little bit later, Intel developed a reference design for low-end mobile laptops, and they called these the Classmate PCs. So, again, going back to that idea of like just a small, cheap laptop for schools. And their design was based on these new Celeron M processors, which had the same architecture as other PC laptops, but much lower power. So all that is to say that the idea of netbooks predated the EPC by at least a couple years, depending on what you want to define as a netbook. Yeah, that makes sense. So finally, in June of 2007... Asus announces the Asus EPC701 at uh, Computex that year. The E part was spelled with three E's, and it stands for easy to learn, easy to work, and easy to play. Oh, that is so cringy. Yeah. It, yeah. So before we get to the hardware specifications of the laptop, I wanted to watch a video together from Martin Williams of IDG News Service, who kind of showed off the laptop at the event. And so we can get a look at like kind of what it looks like, what Asus was promising initially. And this video and all the other sources will be in the show notes if anyone wants to see for, for, see for themselves. I have it open. Okay. Start on three, two, one, go. Asus Tech's 199 US dollar EPC is turning out to be one of the stars at Computex 2007, grabbing attention for its small size and even smaller price. On Wednesday, we got a chance to try out an engineering sample and came away impressed. This little notebook has a shot at making a big impact on the market for ultra-portable computers, and competitors like Palm, which recently announced its $599 folio, should pay attention. The keyboard and trackpad are slightly small due to the EPC size, but tapping out emails and other quick tasks were easy. Like Palm's Folio, the EPC runs Linux instead of Windows. Asus Tech chose the Xandros operating system. The user interface, which is still being developed, uses tabs for navigation. The prototype we tested had tabs labeled Internet, Work, Learn, Play, Settings and Favorites, which contained icons for related applications and websites. The EPC will hit the market during the third quarter, most likely in August or September. The notebook will be aimed at education users, but it should be available more widely. Prices are going to start at $199, rising based on the amount of flash memory that comes with the machine instead of a hard disk. Currently, Asus Tech plans to sell models with 4GB, 8GB and 16GB of flash, but that may change between now and when the first EPCs go on sale. Asus Tech won't disclose the processor, but whatever it uses, the EPC doesn't run hot. The prototype had been running continuously for at least 6 hours and was only worn to the touch. Specs include a 7-inch monitor, a 300,000 pixel camera, 512 megabytes of RAM and Wi-Fi. Next year, Asus Tech plans to introduce a second EPC model, the 1001, which will have a 10-inch screen. At Computex 2007 in Taipei, this is Martin Williams, IDG News Service. Wow. Okay, so I, I had remembered this thing having crazy bezels, like bad enough that you couldn't look at it without kind of wanting to make fun of it. I didn't remember it being as bad as this. It, it kind of looks like, this is such a weird way to put it, but it kind of looks like somebody decided to make a laptop body with keyboard and all that stuff. And then 
the part of the clamshell that would be the screen, instead of actually having a screen there, they just cut out a hole and put a phone in there. Yeah, it's it's kind of weird looking. And it's got, it does have kind of a normal keyboard, it looks like. I like that it has a Windows key, even though this is not running Windows. <laughs> yeah, They just didn't, didn't have time to change that, I guess. Very small touchpad. Well, we see that as small now. Yeah. At that time in history, that was actually fairly normal for touchpads. I, I mean, it's still maybe a little on the small side, but I saw, I saw like regular laptops coming out with touchpads smaller than that uh but yeah that there is no denying as i look to as i look down at my macbook pro with the giant touchpad that you could like fit a whole hand on you could yeah. you could fit the epc screen on that touchpad probably not far from it like legitimately not far from it this is kind of obviously a bit out there, but the guy comments in the video about how uh, they didn't disclose what processor it is, but it's not overheating, and it was only, quote, warm to the touch. <laughs> yeah. And as he says that, uh, part of me was thinking, uh, that my first thought was, man, that is so weird, because when I'm using my current MacBook Pros, I almost actually have to complain about how cold they are. <laughs> They're always cold. But yeah, then then it slowly dawned on me, oh yeah, every laptop I owned back in the day, those those always were just kind of warm. Yeah, they got toasty. Yeah, so like definitely this laptop when you look at it with the exception of the display which definitely has more like dead space around it than even laptops at that time it it kind of just looks like a small normal laptop like the design isn't that crazy suddenly i'm very curious what the hell did that windows key do uh, I, I mean like did they ship this thing and it was just a random key that did nothing or or was it mapped to a purpose i actually don't know if the final product had it had oh, it fair enough uh, yeah. yeah that's right this was a this was a test model or prototype yeah so that's what asus showed off at computex now we'll get into the full hardware specifications of this computer i want to quickly mention some of this might be slightly wrong because <laughs> there were a lot of different versions of even this initial epc laptop and a lot of the product pages and support info and such from from this time period uh, is just gone. So some of some of these details might not be true for like every model, but I'm I'm trying my best here. <laughs> Variants do be like that. This laptop had a seven-inch display with a resolution of get ready for this, eight hundred by four hundred and eighty pixels. <laughs> Not high resolution. Nope. Not e nope. That's postage stamp size. Honestly, it, to be brutally honest, that's actually higher than I thought it was. Yeah. Well, yeah. Because like this was still kind of when at least some laptops I think had like 800 by 600 displays. And this is just mm -hmm. a wide version of that. But yeah, definitely, definitely uh, the smaller size was probably more of a adjustment than the resolution. Mm -hmm. 
As for the processor, it had a Intel Mobile Celeron M ULV353. I hate that name. But it was a 90 nanometer design, which is really funny because <laughs> as, as we're recording this in uh, early 2022, we're seeing like four nanometer system on a chips, basically. Yeah. Yeah. No, by, by comparison, this is big enough that you could turn it into a bowling lane. The processor had a base clock of 900 megahertz, so it wasn't even one gigahertz. And I believe it was underclocked to 600 megahertz to improve battery life. <laughs> so, and also it was a 32-bit only, even though this was around the time we were starting to get 64-bit x86 chips. Uh, this, this was 32-bit only. Yeah, just, just remember, folks, your smartwatch can run circles around this thing. Any smartwatch. Yes, absolutely. An original Pebble had higher specs. <laughs> yeah, and a higher resolution screen. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, like, did it? <laughs> it, was, it might have. It might, it might have been close. Also, most versions of this laptop shipped with 512 megabytes of DDR2 RAM. I saw some retailers were selling versions of this laptop with half of that. It also didn't have a lot of storage. It, like that video said, it shipped with four, eight, or 16 gigabytes of flash storage. It was flash storage, so that's, that is a little bit better than most laptops at the time, which had, you know, spinning hard drives. But I don't imagine that flash storage was much faster. Or it might have even been slower. Flash memory wasn't that good back then. Yeah, it, I I vaguely remember this conversation coming up quite a bit. And uh, in the amounts that it was shipping with, I believe the point of discussion was that since they were not putting in spinning disks, the amount of battery that they could effectively save by switching to flash effectively made up in cost for putting in flash yeah like you don't need to power spinning mechanisms exactly so yeah i my understanding is that was an actual legitimate cost trade-off not because they wanted to make it better yeah. <laughs> <laughs> though i i could be wrong I, I that's just something i heard i read a lot of speculation about it at the time i i don't know for sure that that's the case speaking of battery life this computer in real world use had a battery life of... Actually, why don't you tell me, how, how long do you think this thing lasted on a single charge? Uh, let's see. My best guess, I'm going to go 45 minutes. It was three hours. Not good, but yeah. And my presumption was, because I remember, I remember so many people talking about not this netbook in particular, but I remember a lot of people talking about netbooks and just outright saying like the purpose of them was to go like move from wall to wall. <laughs> like yeah. literally you, you went from place to place, plug them in and they were useful because they were portable, but they were, you know, right. they weren't meant to like actually go to a coffee shop and work for hours. Yeah. You could, you could take them anywhere that had a power outlet and that three hour battery life was made possible by a total capacity of 5,200 milliamps 
spread across four different battery cells. You know, Similar-ish capacity to what you would get on like a modern tablet, roughly, kind of. A little bit more than most phones have. Now, Cody, would you also like to guess for me what the resolution of the webcam was? 12. <laughs> no, not megapixel, just 12, 12 pixels. 12 pixel. No, um, I want to say it was probably 640 by 480 would be too small. Um, it, it, I don't see it going over maybe 2 megapixel. This was 0 0.3 megapixels. Well, okay, so no, that is actually 640 by 480. Yeah. So again, this is a netbook, so its main purpose is to connect to the internet. It did have 100 megabits per second ethernet. It also had a 56K modem built in. So if you were somewhere that only had telephone lines, you could do dial up if you really wanted to. And this did have 802.11 BG Wi-Fi, which I believe is Wi-Fi 2, I think. And also some models were sold with a 3G data card. Like there are a lot of um, mobile networks that sold this laptop in stores with a active 3G connection. Go figure, this is still a rare feature in laptops today. Now that video that we watched briefly mentioned that this doesn't actually run Windows. It runs a custom Linux distribution called Sandros. I think that's how it's pronounced. Oh, I thought I heard Andros, but okay. Yeah, there's a, there's a, there's an X in there. Oh, cool. Yeah, much cooler. If your product name starts with an X, that gives it automatic points. Exactly. Now, the choice to use Linux was probably mostly due to Windows licensing costs. They could make the laptop a lot cheaper if they didn't have to pay Microsoft anything. Now, I'm going to send you a screenshot of the operating system and it's it's pretty close to what you already saw in that video but this is the this is the final iteration of it so just like that video described the desktop isn't really like a desktop it's more of a app drawer like you might see on phones or tablets and there's a row of tabs at the top that split everything into categories so there's an internet tab that has like the web browser and Skype and uh, other online tools. And then there's a work tab and a learn tab and, and so on. And very importantly, it happens to have both iGoogle and Google Docs. I loved iGoogle. iGoogle was great. The operating system shipped with OpenOffice. So you could read and write Microsoft Office documents. It came with Firefox, it came with Skype. Uh, had a few other built-in applications. It was Linux, so you know you could also download it, install whatever other software you could get. And Asus advertised a 15-second boot for this computer. Most reviews I found said that was around 30 seconds, realistically. So slower than what they promised, but 30 seconds is still pretty fast for a, a laptop in 2007. It is, but again, we're talking about something that has been... It's a heavily modified Linux build, so you know that that boot time is... Right. It's not, yeah, it's it's not an apples-to-apples apples comparison against, like, a Windows yeah. computer. Yeah. Yeah, Windows definitely took a lot longer on average just because. So, again, as 
that video mentioned, Asus was aiming for a $200 price tag for this computer. However, by the time it finally went on sale, I think, again, like it's it's really hard to find good information here, but it seems like the 701 was mostly sold at $399 in the United States. It was $499 in Australia, and in the UK, I think it was around uh, £219. The initial wave of reviews were actually mostly positive. So I'll send you a snippet of a review to read. This is from Mark Spooner. It's it's Mark from Laptop Mag. <clears throat> the EPC may be designed to appeal to children and older customers, but it should also tempt anyone looking for a lightweight budget PC that weighs next to nothing and connects to the internet easily. It's 10 times simpler to use than any Windows machine, starts up twice as fast, in parentheses, no crapware, and is only about a fifth of the cost of other systems in its weight class. It's a little rough around the edges, but the EPC is a remarkably versatile machine for the price. When it comes to Road Warriors, the EPC runs circles around UMPCs powered by Vista and XP in terms of performance, price, and ease of use, but not application support. Despite a few issues, such as a webcam not yet optimized for online video chats, the EPC is also a worthy alternative to devices like the Nokia N810 internet tablet. The Nokia is more pocket-friendly, is Bluetooth-enabled for using a cell phone as a modem, and has a built-in GPS receiver, but the Asus supports a better keyboard, can be connected to a big screen monitor, and is $80 cheaper. Okay, so parts of this, to read them, are almost... It, it almost makes you roll your eyes at how simplistic the logic is, but at the same time, you kind of get it. Like, saying, hey, this is 10 times simpler to use than Windows. Well, sure, but it also does a tenth as much. So yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. If, if even a tin. And it's also interesting that Asus was definitely onto something here. Like it was a better overall package than a lot of what was offered at the time, right? Like you had, you had smaller laptops and you had other devices that were really built for connecting to the internet, but like they were also all bad, mm-hmm. right? Like we had, we had Windows tablets around this time. Those were all terrible. Yeah. And, you know, this is, this is 2007, so this is three years before the iPad. So we didn't have Android tablets, we didn't have iPads. Well, strictly speaking, just to, just to put it in context, there were still, like, Windows Mobile devices. Those have been around for a long time at this right. point. It, there actually were tablet computers. Literally just computers that existed as a tablet, and they were running Windows. They were stupidly overpriced, they were... Uh, they had many other logical problems, but hey, you know, they did exist and they there was minimal demand for those things too. But yeah, this this filled a different market segment that hadn't really been touched. Yeah, so that was Laptop Mag's review. I'll read CNET's review now, which is kind of the same uh, conclusion, but they said, quote, the EPC isn't as quick as most laptops. But its 900 megahertz CPU and 512 megabytes of RAM are just fast enough. Applications generally open in a couple of seconds after clicking, and it's powerful enough to edit photos without becoming a cause of frustration. It generally boots up in about 30 seconds, which is quicker than most Windows-based laptops. 
The EPC is in no way designed as a gaming machine, but it ships with a couple of Flash-type games and it runs those well. It's hard to fault the EPC, mainly because of its price. It can be difficult to use because of the cramped keyboard, but it's better than similar sized laptops like the Toshiba Libretto. If you're in the market for a second PC or looking for something you can take with you almost anywhere, the EPC is definitely worth buying. Quote. Which all loosely translates to, do you want something you can take on a vacation and not freak out if it gets destroyed or lost? This is what you buy. So one of the more interesting parts of this computer is the fact that it ran Linux. There weren't really many other computers that ship with something that wasn't Windows or Apple's Mac OS X at that time. But Asus definitely noticed that a lot of people would like to have Windows. And they did say at some point they would make an EPC that shipped with Windows instead of Linux. If you wanted to, it was possible to install Windows on this original EPC. Like, it was, it was just a normal PC. It was just that Windows did not run well on it. And also, especially on those lower-end models with 4 gigabytes of storage, that doesn't leave a lot of room for Windows. Yeah, I remember a lot of people joking about, like, how how they would kind of like to get something like this, but... They wouldn't touch it until there was a model with Windows. And then, of course, when those started happening, people people turned around and also did the, well, hey, these specs aren't really good enough for Windows. We don't want this. I think one of the more interesting parts of the EPC is how it affected Windows and kind of the PC industry in general with respect to how it looked at Windows. So... At this point in 2007, Microsoft was basically fighting PC manufacturers to get them to switch from Windows XP, which had come out in 2001, to Windows Vista, which was released internationally in January of 2007. Now, Windows Vista was not popular. <laughs> it understatement. Understatement, yeah, <laughs> it it wasn't it wasn't popular. And more importantly for this story, it had very high system requirements. So much so that a lot of people couldn't even upgrade from Windows XP to Windows Vista without replacing most of the components in their PC or just buying a new computer. It was, it was pretty rough. Golly, we don't know anything like that now in the future. No. <laughs> it comes at this absolutely terrible moment where these new netbooks that are super low power are becoming more popular. So Microsoft like doesn't have an answer for what to put on these computers. Instead, they decide to basically extend the life of Windows XP. So this is a big reason why Windows XP lasted for as long as it did. Around, you know, 2008, 2009 is when Microsoft was trying to ramp down Windows XP, but instead it, it kind of had to keep it alive. Because the alternative was allowing Linux and maybe other operating systems to gain market share on these low-end computers. Yeah, it's, I mean, they didn't have a choice. Not a good one. Yeah, it's just absolutely terrible timing to release a new operating system that uh, needs a much better computer than what is popular. Mm -hmm. By the end of 2007, Asus had sold 300,000 EPC laptops which is pretty impressive considering the, the laptop was released around like the middle-ish of the year. 
And by early 2008, Microsoft started to outline its plans for allowing Windows XP on netbooks. So they started signing deals with PC manufacturers that offer discounted licenses on Windows XP, but only for certain types of computers. Their hope for this was to just keep Windows XP around for netbooks and still like try to push everyone else to Windows Vista. They didn't want this to be like a uh, like a workaround for just anyone mm-hmm. to to ship a computer with XP in 2008, which was uh, right before Windows 7 was released. So I, I don't know if this was the final terms or not, but one leak said that for PCs to get this Windows XP discounted license, they had to have screens of 10.2 inches or smaller. They had to have hard drives less than 80 gigs. They had to have one gig of RAM or less, and they couldn't have a touchscreen. I think some of those did get amended over time because there were Asus ePCs and other computers that ship with XP that had better hardware than that. But yeah, that was like the initial rules. So in March of 2008, which was a little under a year after the first ePC came out, Asus released the first major upgrade. This was the EPC 900. It had a larger screen. It was now 8.9 inches. So pretty close to like a modern base model iPad. That display had a resolution of 1024 by 600. The RAM was increased from 512 megabytes to one gigabyte. So now we got one gig of RAM. The storage was increased from 4 gigabytes to between 8 to 12 gigabytes, depending on which model you got. The webcam was also upgraded. It was now 1.3 megapixels instead of 0.3. However, it did have the same super cheap Celeron chip in it, so it wasn't any faster. To be fair, at that point in history, increasing RAM was massive for performance so yeah that's true another big change was that this one was sold with either linux or windows xp this model was also more expensive if you remember the original epc was about 400 dollars. this one was 550 dollars in the united states it was 399 euro and in the uk it was 305 pounds so more expensive than that last model getting close to kind of just being a laptop (laughs) at that price. Mm -hmm. What year is this again? This is March 2008. Yeah, you could go to Dell and buy one of their laptops for probably like, man, I want to, part of me wants to say like 700, but it might have been a little higher than that. But you could buy one of their laptops for like, definitely under a thousand. And that would be, that would be a new computer. It was way better. Yeah, brand new computer, way better, bigger screen, better everything. Granted, that that has its own drawbacks. It's less portable, but yeah. Yeah. So also that same year, Asus started expanding this idea of like a super cheap computer beyond just laptops. They released the eBox PC, which was basically an ePC but it was a tower PC instead of a laptop. So it was a small, super cheap home computer. Through this whole thing, I have recalled almost all of this stuff, even if just barely, I remembered everything about the CPC. 
uh, and, and the follow-up version. I have never in my life, to my recollection, heard of the E-Box. That, that, so, whatever, if it had any popularity at all, somehow it completely missed me. <laughs> Which I'm thinking means it was not at all popular. Yeah, it definitely... At, at that point, the only thing going for it was price. Right, like the, the, the normal EPC, it was cheap and you could take it anywhere. This was just a bad desktop computer. <laughs> And mm-hmm. like power efficiency doesn't really matter a whole lot when it's plugged into an outlet all the time. So definitely less of a reason for something like that to exist. I don't know how popular it was off the top of my head, but it 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 absolutely did not have the same impact on the tech industry that these netbooks had. By this time, you know, the EPC has been on the market for over six months. There's now an upgraded model available. This is when a lot of the main competitors for the EPC start to pop up. And this is when the this category of netbooks just explodes. One of the more popular competitors was the MSI Wind, which was released in 2008. Now, this was more expensive than that initial EPC. It was closer to the, the EPC 900. It was around like $500-ish. But it was also better in almost every way. It had a larger 10-inch screen, which was still 1024 by 600, but still 10 inches. Had a 1.3 megapixel camera. It had a better CPU. This was an Intel Atom chip, which was, you know, they're still garbage, but they're they're better garbage. And it was available with either Windows XP or SUSE Linux, which was a little bit different than the, the Linux OS that Asus was shipping. You say SUSE? I've always thought it was Suzy. I, I I looked it up. This is I think this is how it's pronounced. It's Suza. Hmm. Yeah. I didn't know how it's pronounced Man. either. I've never heard people it's this is no one uses yeah. Susa anymore, so not only that, just like that is one of those things you know nobody actually says out loud. Yeah. Like there there are some words that we have. You know people use them, but they only to ever type them. Yeah. So the the MSI Wind was really popular. It also had a bunch of different variations. I remember from this time, the MSI Wind was really popular for Hackintoshes. There were a lot of people who loaded Mac OS X onto these. I did find an interesting uh, interview with someone at MSI that kind of shows about how popular Linux netbooks were in comparison to Windows models. So MSI's director of US sales at the time, who was Andy Tung, said in 2008 that return rates for the Linux versions of the MSI Wind were at least four times higher than the Windows XP versions. So there was definitely a pattern of people buying the Linux versions of the MSI Wind, and probably this was true of the EPCs too, and they realized they couldn't do what they wanted on these, and they returned them and bought the Windows versions. I think that's one of those statistics that's so hard to get necessarily the correct meaning out of it because I think what happened with so many people is they weren't necessarily thrilled with Windows at the time. A lot of people weren't thrilled with Windows at the time. Right. Still aren't today. And they wanted to explore Linux. But then they got it and it's not necessarily they they couldn't do what they wanted to do. It's that they didn't want to take the time to learn. And plus, they're they're getting something that was already 
barely powerful enough to do stuff, so their experience on it isn't wonderful anyway. Yeah, and and Linux at this time is it's not that good on the desktop. Also in that same interview, MSI said that the sales of the MSI Wind netbooks were actually capped by the supply of Intel Atom CPUs available. So like they couldn't make enough of these to meet demand. Another competitor for the EPC that showed up around this time in 2008 was the HP 2133 Mini Note PC. Absolutely terrible name. HP can't name their products. Even now they can't name anything. Let's be honest. Most of the old school companies cannot name their products. That's true. EPC is not a good name either, but it's at least not just a string of numbers. You mean like a Sony product? <laughs> yeah. oh sony so this terribly named computer did have a better build quality and larger keyboard than the epc the the screen size was about the same but it had a much higher 1280 by 768 resolution the cpu in this computer was the via c7m from the taiwan-based via technologies company which i had actually not heard of before researching this episode. I didn't know they existed. Yeah, I remember them. Yeah, they were another company licensing the x86 architecture from Intel, just like AMD does today. And the thing I would say if I if I were reviewing them is just, I remember them. Yeah, they were there. Uh-huh. Enough said. There's nothing else to report. Sorry, anyone who worked at Via. Yeah. <laughs> the CPU in this netbook ranged from 1 gigahertz to 1.6 gigahertz depending on which model you got um i saw cnet reviewed a 1.2 gigahertz model that came with windows vista so like, like this was one of the first netbooks as far as i can tell that was sold with vista and it sounds like it was terrible again like i was reading this review from cnet they said that the vista model took about a minute and a half to boot up and it was just, it was really slow. The whole computer was slow. And to think, that's your out-of-the-box first day boot up. Well, you know, shortly after setup, whatever. Yeah, you get Windows, you install like the three or four programs you need. It's not good. Yeah. And in, in like six months, that thing's going to take like five minutes to boot. Asus releases another lineup of EPCs in late 2008, the EPC 900. This finally replaced the 900 megahertz Celeron from the past couple models with a new 1.6 gigahertz Intel Atom N270 CPU. Now, even though this was an improvement, the new chip wasn't that much faster than what was available on the older EPCs. After that point, Asus kept releasing more EPC models. They eventually got up to like 10 to 12 inch screens. They started shipping with Windows 7 instead of Windows XP once Windows 7 came out. One thing they did phase out, though, was the option to buy this computer with Linux installed. As far as I can tell, again, like the, the information for this is, is very sparse, but as far as I can tell, the last EPC sold with a Linux option seems to be the 1001H from 2008. So that's kind of a very short-lived time frame for for linux on netbooks 
as as soon as Microsoft swooped in with a Windows option, even though Windows was also bad, it was bad, but you could you could run more software. It was the bad thing you were familiar with. Yeah, devil you know kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then finally, in around 2012, 2013, is when Asus is kind of done making APCs. And this is also kind of when netbooks as a whole were, were going out the door. Because there were now a bunch of different options that sort of fit what netbooks were designed for, but in much better ways. So on the lower end, netbooks were kind of being replaced by tablets. You know, like I said, the... The original iPad came out in 2010, so by 2012, 2013, the iPads were pretty good, and there were also a lot of competitors available that ran Android or uh, other operating systems. And if you still needed something with a keyboard, Chromebooks by this point were becoming dominant, and Chromebooks kind of, at least initially, definitely followed the same idea as a netbook, right? Like this super cheap internet machine that's just just for browsing the web it was a spiritual successor yeah definitely but it did a lot better they not only went back to linux but they had a a modified version of linux that was just a web browser and then on the higher end if you had a lot of money and still wanted something that was ultra portable this is when you know ultrabooks were really mainstream by this point Asus did revive the EPC brand in 2014. They made a lineup of laptops called the Asus eBooks, but they were just normal laptops that were kind of cheap. That that they weren't like netbooks at all. There there are still netbooks around today. They're just not really called netbooks. Like if you go to any store, they're gonna have computers that are nine to ten inch displays or eleven inch displays that have either Windows or, or Chrome OS or something on them. I I don't want to say brand because that's maybe the wrong term for it, but to label anything a netbook at this point in time, it's sort of like a poison term. It it didn't have a good connotation attached to it. Yeah. When you when people yeah, think I mean, of netbooks, they think of like all oh, these terrible slow laptops. Yeah, the, it was they were almost iconic for how much nobody would actually choose to use one except for the fact that they were cheap, disposable computers. Yeah, you know, even though they were bad, I will say netbooks have kind of a special place in my heart because when I was growing up, all the computers in our house were pretty old Mac computers. So for one of my birthdays, I asked for an Asus EPC, and I got one. I think it was the I want to say it was the 1000PX. I think it was it was one of the later ones that had like a 10-inch screen and that computer was fantastic. Like it was def it wasn't it wasn't that fast, but I had, you know, I had Windows on it at one point. I had Linux on it for most of the time I had the computer. At one point I made it a Hackintosh, so it just had Mac OS X on it. I actually remember one of the first things I did with it was I tried to play, I think it was like a 720p video game trailer that just, I could not hmm. play on all the computers I had before very well because, you know, this was MPEG video and those older Macs didn't have the, the video decoding for that. And it played perfectly on that netbook. I was like, oh, this is cool. <laughs> like just, just that alone. I was like, this is an upgrade for me. 
and I, I used that laptop for a long time. Um, and it was, it was pretty nice. I, I basically used it until the, the, the plastic casing started to chip because you know, it was <laughs> built as cheaply as possible. And I was, you know, using it all the time and taking it everywhere. I, yeah. So I, I, I definitely, uh, have a special place in my memory for the EPCs, even though they were objectively not good computers. Um, but they were cheap enough where uh, I could ask for one for my birthday. So that's what that's that was important. Hey, it counts for a lot, right? Yeah. Did you did you ever use any netbooks back in the day? I imagine you probably did. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, okay. So, um, if we're talking netbook in that classic sense of small and budget, then the answer is a definitive no. I, I very specifically remember when they came out and when they became popular. I actually have maybe, a well, not anecdotes, but I remember how people perceived the one laptop per child thing. Because when those happened, I, I remember so many people being like, hey, it's great that we can like buy these for other kids in other countries, but we kind of actually want them ourselves. And that started that whole buy one and donate one mechanic that they started pushing. But the thing is, every time I looked at it, all I could come away with is the thought I like anything I would want this for. I want I want it to be better. Yeah. All of their specs just left me looking at it going, I can't actually get real use out of this. It would be great if I could. I want something that's small and, you know, easy to toss into a bag or and like not care about it. But every single time I just kept coming back to, you know, I I can't do the things with this I want to do. And that pretty much makes it useless. That being said, I had an ex-girlfriend who... When I actually, when I met her in, I guess that would have been 2007, she had something that was a not budget netbook. It was this tiny little, I believe Sony made it, tiny little Windows PC. Yeah, it's probably the the Sony Veo, Vio, however those are pronounced. Well, that's a whole family of computers. Yeah. But yeah, I, I believe it was part of the Vio series. Yeah, she had this very small laptop at the time when I first saw it. I had no idea they even made laptops that small. I kind of want to say it was basically like one of the first Ultrabooks. I didn't like own that laptop, but I, you know, I had to work with it from time to time if she wanted help with it or something. So that is something I wish would come back is this product category of really good laptops that are also tiny, like 10, 11 inch. Cause that, that mm -hmm. definitely doesn't really exist. I think that market kind of got swallowed up by like iPad pros, but like, I don't want an iPad. <laughs> I want like an actual computer. I can do computer things on that has a, that has a keyboard. Like an actual keyboard, well, not one of the little fold-out ones that costs like an extra $400 on top of the tablet. In a way, I kind of feel like Apple destroyed that market. Because they came out with the Air, and the Air was just a little bigger than what you're probably aiming for. 
but not by much. And so anyone who wanted that thing that was the size you're describing, they could, they, I imagine they probably looked at the options and were like, well, we could get this really mediocre product or we could go get Apple's thing. Everyone was willing to sacrifice and just get a little bit bigger than they wanted and get a computer that was way better than what other people were offering. Yeah. At least that would be my guess because I remember there being such a rave around the the MacBook Air at the time. So if, if anyone wanted to make like a modern EPC, I might buy one. <laughs> you know, if anyone from... Let Corbin know. DM yeah. him on Twitter. Yeah, let me know. And I, I might buy one. But uh, yeah, Cody, you got anything you want to plug? Or if you want to find me, just follow me on Twitter. It's at... Uh, Cody underscore Tombs. Tombs is spelled T-O-O-M-B-S. And uh, yeah, I think that's about it. I, I I have some YouTube stuff coming up shortly, but it's not ready to show off yet. Cool. And and also as a little bit of self-promotion, uh, TechTales has a website now at techtalesshow.com. Uh, right now, it's just links to everywhere else the show is but at one point it will probably be something cooler but i i just i just bought the domain yesterday as we record as we record this so (laughs) it's not a lot there yet 